Thank you. I've had a lot of people compliment my tie this morning, and I just have to say that Dallas Henry has one that's exactly the reverse of it. He said he should stand on his head so we should match, but I, I told him that's okay. You don't need to go that far. I was told today that two of our elder statesmen in this congregation have left their hearing aids at home. So if I sound angry, I'm not. I just want to make sure that over the next 40 minutes, people get more than just a good nap. In two days, it will be the 247th birthday of the United States of America. And with apologies to Lee Greenwood, who recorded the song, I'm Proud to be an American, I am thankful to be an American. And the difference is that being proud credits the self, shines the spotlight squarely on the self. Being thankful credits someone else. And I think we have every reason to be thankful to God for what we enjoy in this country. Our celebration of our country's birthday includes remembering sacrifice, remembering our origins, remembering great struggle, continual learning and growth, and victory against evil. Our nation was built on the theme of personal freedom particularly freedom from the oppression of government, especially government persecution of religious freedom. Our nation has consistently upheld the ideas of might for right, of equal opportunity under the law, of helping the helpless and oppressed, and of getting ahead by working harder and smarter. In spite of our country's moral variety, and irresponsibility, and in spite of our government's corruption and misuses of power, the United States of America is still my favorite country, and Oklahoma is still my favorite state to live in. Somebody say amen. All right. In the minds of our nation's founding fathers, and in the documents that we follow to operate our government and economy. We find many ideas that fit very closely to biblical ideas. That's no coincidence. Let's take a look. <laughs> Among them are personal ownership of property. Not every country or every government does this. Communism, anyone? No? Big surprise. Also, the restoration of damaged property. If you own it, nobody else can do anything to it or with it without your permission or without paying for it. Also, in this country, rulers are subject to the laws and will of the people. That's not a new idea. It's just not a popular one among rulers. But it was the case in Israel that the rulers were subject to the same laws, subject to the same God as the people. Shepherding of the sheep is not a new idea. 
It's a biblical one. Division of labor among the leadership. We have three divisions in our national government, similar divisions at the state and local level. That is not a new idea, nor even a uniquely American one. If you read in Exodus, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, recommends something similar. Also, if you read through the Old Testament, you see that kings and prophets and priests were not always rolled into one. Most often, they were separate. There have always been consequences for violating the law. Again, not always a popular idea, but it's not a new one. We are called in the New Testament to work. All of us are supposed to be working in some way, bearing our own burdens. And in the Old and New Testaments, the well-off are called and encouraged to sponsor and assist the poor and helpless. We are called to rely on God at all times. There's a famous line from our own Declaration of Independence that says, with a firm reliance on divine providence. Not a new idea. God is in charge of timing and results. Something to remember. Also, ancient Israel, as well as other places between then and now, there is room for other cultures and other ethnic groups to enjoy equal opportunity, to share community benefits, as well as sharing commitment and obedience. Let's look at some more. If you read the book of Ezra, you get a strong awareness that the leadership is responsible to educate people about laws and expectations. And in the Old and New Testaments, the leadership is responsible to defend against perversions of belief. It's important that people know what they believe. Because if you think you're believing one thing and you're really believing something else, not only are you confused, but there's consequences for that. Beliefs change destinies. Not a new idea. The need for godly leaders to be tested and to meet certain qualifications is very prominent in Timothy and Titus, as well as in our country. It's important that they meet certain qualifications. You don't want just anybody getting up here and yakking at you. You don't want just anybody making decisions about money, about war. Those are kind of important. So leadership is important. Also, if leaders violate the law, it's important that they suffer consequences for it. Again, this is not always popular among leaders. Delegation of authority. This is probably a little bit more uniquely American than in most other places, but not entirely. Again, Moses' father-in-law said, you're wearing yourself out, Moses. You need to delegate. Surely there are some good men among you that can help with this. 
We see it again in the New Testament where the seven deacons were selected. The disciples said, we need to focus here. Let's select deacons to focus here because we shouldn't be neglecting them both. But can't one guy do it all? We've got to delegate. And besides, the more people you have involved, like we saw with our own VBS this year, the more people are involved, the greater the work God can do. A hierarchy of authority, again, not something new. And then the last one here, the need for systems for investigating accusations. Just because someone's accused doesn't mean they're guilty. Anyone can make up an accusation. But finding evidence and convicting takes time and integrity. It's important to have a system in place for that. Many countries in the world today don't use that. Somebody with power makes an accusation and that's it. No recourse. No appeals courts. No objection, Your Honor. None of that. Also, if you read about the Salem witch trials, they neglected an important piece of biblical law. Multiple witnesses to corroborate testimony. It makes a difference. It's easy to get one person to say something. It's not so easy to get two or three to say the same thing. Every government in every community and nation has to strike a balance between freedom and security. In our postmodern culture, we see many on a slippery slope here, very confused, trying to have all of the benefits with none of the consequences or the sacrifices. Physically, we see groups fighting for respect and the right for aberrant sexuality, while these practices bring danger and division to the community. We are forced to address the sexuality of every individual, either to protect it, or to educate it, or to refute it, even to ignore it, when we have many other more important things we should be thinking about. Mentally, we see the national debate over the best ways to execute our government, much valued by our founding fathers, being censored, shut down, attacked, and in all ways avoided when we don't agree. The debate has degenerated into a fit-throwing contest between toddlers or a spin-fest among teams of manipulators to gain votes or likes or in some other indicator of favor rather than the honest examination of ideas to see which aligns best with what is true. Emotionally, we live in a fractured world, a mix of several degrees between extremes. Our older generations grew up apart from personal technology and learned to accept that some things were not changeable, but that emotions could be overcome. Several generations later, we see generations now that expect personal comfort in every particular, have little resilience because they've never had to overcome anything, including themselves. Parents live as though they're at the mercy of their classmates' collective opinion on the playground oblivious to the authority parents have to bring the security and the freedom found only inside obedience and discipline. 
we battle fear and depression and have to be told to get outside and work hard if you want to feel better. Right? Something none of us questioned about 30, 40 years ago. Spiritually, we see churches trying desperately to attract and keep as many warm bodies as possible, no matter what their beliefs, while trying to stay Christian enough in name to please those who actually believe the Bible and pay the bills. We have lost the glory of drawing a line in the sand, of giving up what we love for what we love even more, of faithfulness to what we believe is true. There's some business you don't want. You can't please everybody. There's some ideas you shouldn't follow. Because what you believe matters not only eternally, but also in the moment. So these are the slippery slopes in which we find ourselves. They will not lead to freedom or security in the end. The only way to both freedom and security is through obedience and sacrifice. Our country, our culture, doesn't seem to like or accept this message as it once did. We want comfort. We want stimulation above all else. And we are desperately afraid of any conflict that requires us to sacrifice or take a stand that would cause us to be uncomfortable. We are actually held hostage by the anticipated negative emotional response of our communities. Don't take the tablet from the three-year-old or they'll fuss. We can't have that. That would require us to put down our tablets until we can get them quiet again. To what are we called in the Bible? What is the church's role and message in our culture, in our country, in the face of these slippery slopes at odds with our heritage? Should we try to preserve the legacy of our founding fathers? in the face of radical changes we now encounter. Probably know the answer to that one. I believe we are called to hold fast to the truth, which means we must know the truth and how beliefs affect actions. Words mean something. Ideas have consequences, and we must not be ignorant of them. If we concede to a different idea, where will he end up years down the road? If we give up a piece of the truth to avoid conflict, what message does that send to the young ones watching us? So I believe we are called to speak the truth in love. I believe we are called to patiently instruct the ignorant decisively reject those bent on evil and diligently watch over our leaders in government and the church. Let's see where I got here. I believe we should celebrate the truth in every culture and nation, every tribe and tongue. But where culture goes one way and God calls us to another, we must be willing to separate from culture 
nation, community, even family and friends. Or our faith is worthless. Luke 9.62, Jesus himself said, No man, having put his hand to the plow and turning back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Our God is glorified in every community of believers throughout the world, no matter their government or heritage. We happen to enjoy prosperity and comfort in our nation and have for many years, but it may not always be so. Other nations endure wars, famine, disease, and bad weather, but it may not always be so. Let us guard ourselves against any sense of entitlement from our heritage, as the Jews struggled with when the Romans and Jesus existed side by side. Let us not become lazy in our civic responsibilities, as the Babylonians did when the Medes and Persians overran them in a single night of feasting. Let us not follow after vain idols of prosperity or do only what is right in our own eyes, as the Israelites did after the death of Moses and Joshua. They were overrun repeatedly by invaders because of this. We must be diligent and alert to hold fast to the truth. Finally, I also believe we should make an effort to show respect and even honor to those in offices of authority. Whether they have earned such honor and respect or not. We find a great deal of entertaining commentary and parody directed towards authority figures. While each individual has a great deal of influence over the dignity and respect they command from the people of this nation, our God calls us to give a certain amount of respect even if they command none. Consider admonitions from 1 Peter 2.17, which says we should honor the king or the emperor. Or the admonition in 1 Timothy 2.1-4, that we should pray for the leadership of our country. The admonition from Romans 12.10, that says we should outdo one another in showing honor. Or the admonition from Romans 13.1, that says, <laughs> we are to what? Submit to all governing authorities because those authorities are appointed by God. <laughs> July 4th doesn't really celebrate that spirit, does it? Hooray, let's submit! Yeah. We don't really shoot off fireworks to celebrate submission, do we? Now, there's a time to rebel. There's a time to protest. There's a time to refuse to submit, per Ecclesiastes 3. But our normal behavior and role as citizens should be willing submission to authorities as unto the Lord himself. And that includes honor, reverence, and respect. We are to teach our children to practice the same so that we maintain a mindset of obedience and humility, death to self, and submission to a greater authority than just our flesh. 
Surely we can see the value of such practice. Anyone here ever visited the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier in Washington, D.C.? Arlington National Cemetery? If you visit those or any of the several monuments to fallen soldiers in Washington, D.C., you begin to get a sense of the respect and honor these heroes have earned in sacrifice to our country and their fellow citizens. But we are called to do more than just normal, better than average. Jesus said that if we loved only those who have earned it and only those who love us back, we are no better than ordinary sinners or tax collectors. Our Father, he says, reigns on the just and the unjust. Blessings upon all sinful mankind, no member of which can ever earn anything good from him. He is merciful to the guilty. We are called to the same behavior towards those who have not earned or commanded our respect or honor. Yay. Make you feel like celebrating? So what then? How do we step into the next day, the next week, the next month as Americans and, ooh, the next election as Americans and Christians in a world often against both? First, we must accept, even in celebrating our heritage, that no earthly kingdom, no matter how godly, and no branch of the body of Christ, no matter how godly, is free from error, from abuses, weaknesses, misunderstandings, and shortcomings. We love our country, but we should be willing to accept that others may hold offenses against it. And we may deserve to suffer for it. We love our church, but we must accept that others may not agree with our way of operating and may see God's word differently and sincerely and may see ways that we fall short and they may be right. We must not set up our favorite country or our favorite flavor of Christianity as the only right way and insist everyone else imitate us. We must strive to be as right as we can, but we must remember that we always have more to learn. That We are human and prone to limits and weakness. That others may have gone further with God than we have. That we may be guilty of the same crimes that we point out in other people. Humble pie is definitely not delicious. Number two, we must also accept, even with our system of many layers, delegations of authority, that we as individuals are responsible to make right decisions at the ballot box and make an effort to hold accountable those we elect. We must make our voices heard more often than just in elections. We must use another powerful voting tool, our wallets. The market is listening very carefully to what we say, by what we pay for, and how much and how often. 
This is one way, young people, you can cause change in the world without voting. We must accept, in other words, a burden of work. For it's work to find trustworthy sources of information about candidates and issues and entertainment. And they won't do it for free indefinitely. Maybe we should put some of our money where our moral mouths are and show some support for those groups that support what we believe in and fight for us in the courts and in the press and in the halls of government. Do we pray before we complain? Do we contact our representative before we post on social media? Do we throw a whiny fit when our candidates don't win and decide to ignore things until they magically change and become the way we like them? I've been guilty of that. We have responsibilities, both as citizens of the United States and citizens of heaven, and we must take them up. Thankfully, we can help each other bear them, and we can trust our God for the right timing and the right results in every election, every verdict, and every bill, even if we don't see them happen or understand what he's up to. Number three, we must make it a habit to show respect towards the offices of government, law enforcement, the military, and business proprietors if we ever expect God to be merciful to us. Yuck. That's not going to be easy. That's going to be hard, especially towards, oh, I don't know, referees, umpires, traffic cops, and the like. I know, I'm stepping on toes, including my own, but it needs to be said and it needs to be done. We are not to behave like other people. We are called to stand out. Like Jesus, not just by what we do, but by what we don't do. There are lines we shouldn't cross, words we shouldn't say, places we shouldn't go because we are too busy tending to our Father's business to bother with them. There's a hymn that says, Rise up, O men of God, have done with lesser things. They will not know we are Christians by our satire, will they? We are not called to sarcasm, making fun, ranting on social media. We are not called to become better protesters or better arguers or better followers on Twitter. We are called to teach patiently, to show our love for one another, to help the helpless, to work justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. Then they will know we are Christians. And they will glorify our Father when they see our good works. Number four, we must also accept that we are granted a short time on this earth. We must choose carefully how to spend it. What shall we celebrate? What shall we reform? And what shall we ignore? What shall we give our time and attention to? Well, we are certainly called to missions, to spread the gospel wherever we go. 
we are called to make disciples, to bring to maturity those committed to the faith in our circles of influence. We are called to patiently, compassionately, in season and out of season, to engage the world of deceived captives in the hope that we might be used to rescue them. We are called to live lives that reflect the character of our God and the beliefs of our faith. Beyond that, we must let the Holy Spirit guide us. If we celebrate our nation, let us emphasize the ways it glorifies our Lord and Savior and be willing to celebrate the ways other nations do the same. If we debate in court or on social media or in the coffee shop, let us be careful to seek and acknowledge the truth, even in our opponents' perspectives, and not just seek to win. If we serve in political office, let us serve in the fear of God alone and not in fear of public perception. If we vote, and I strongly encourage it, let us do our research and find those candidates whose records reflect the commitment to the truth of God's word, and not just to getting elected or just to the party or just to the buzzwords of the culture. If we speak of our leaders, let us do so without derision, but in reverence to the offices of authority God has ordained and that our own heroes of our country have worked and died to protect. Let us be intentional in our thoughts, words, and actions. We will have to work harder to get better at this. We will have to be humble to be approachable. We will have to be corrected in order to be correct. We must come to the table of cultural engagement ready not only to forgive, but to ask for forgiveness for those times we were wrong. Our loyalty belongs to God first, not our political party or nation, not even to our family. <clears throat> Christ promised we would be divided, but that does not let us off seeking to spread the good news. Just because someone in office makes a fool of themselves does not give us the freedom to shout their foolishness to our friend. We are free to do right. We are free to sacrifice. We are free to grant mercy and dignity. We will not be comfortable when we do. And that is what we must do. We must get uncomfortable in order to fulfill our calling and live worthy of the name we claim. Here are some uncomfortable words from songs you will probably hear over the next two days. We sang one of them today. May God thy gold refine, till all success be nobleness and every gain divine. 
God, mend thine every flaw. Confirm thy soul in self-control. Thy liberty in law. That's from America the Beautiful. In the Battle Hymn of the Republic, it says, As he died to make men holy, let us die to make men free. That's a sacrifice. In our Star Spangled Banner, there's a verse that says, Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven-rescued land praise the power that hath made and preserved us a nation. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And then from my country, tis of thee, our Father's God, to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God our King. His is the kingdom, not ours. His is the power, not ours. And his is the glory, not ours. Good as our country is, much as we love it, like it, are thankful to get to be here. It is God's kingdom and power and glory that must come first. Amen.